Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to 90.3 KDVS College Radio right here. FM. Cool. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the show. I uh, have to confess that last week's program was pre-recorded, and I want to thank uh, General Manager Stephen Valentino for... Um, Playing the pre-recorded uh, edition of Radio Parallax that you heard, but I'm, I'm sure you didn't you didn't notice, and maybe I shouldn't have mentioned it, but I think I have to because I did leave a few days before last Thursday's air date and um, went down to Costa Rica and just got back uh, yesterday. And I want to tell you about that. That was a most interesting experience. You probably heard a little bit about uh, the fact that Costa Rica is attracting a lot of Americans, a lot of interest, a lot of people uh, retiring from the U.S. and maybe escaping from the U.S., going down to what is a rather stable and pleasant little Latin American, Central American country. It is all that, and you have heard some things correctly, and I want to tell you about it, but we're going to put that off till our third segment today. Uh, in our second segment, we'll be rejoined by Roger S. Peterson, a local uh, historian and business writer who's um, going to talk a little bit about the English language, something that he specializes in, something that we uh, we enjoy talking about. And uh, Roger was quoted the uh, day before yesterday in the New York Times. So uh, we feel that probably, you know, his appearance on Radio Parallax uh, is undoubtedly what brought him to the attention of the, the New York Times. No, not really. But, uh, but no, that, that'll be fun. Stay tuned for that in our second segment. Having been out of the country for a few days, of course, I'm a bit, uh, a bit behind. I think I, I, it was good for me to get away from the media and the television and, and a lot of the things that we immerse ourselves in, even on this show. It was good to take a break from that. I'm glad I did. My batteries are recharged. And, uh, well, we like to start off the show with some current events and some, some comedy. Uh, the first item I would I would cite is something that I'm glad finally took place in the last uh, week or so. Somebody finally knocked Ken Jennings off of Jeopardy. Holy mackerel! You know I think that I think they were awfully sorry when they rescinded the uh, the five uh, five time winner rule on Jeopardy because this guy went on to win 75 consecutive times. Of course, it's always been a goal of mine to appear on Jeopardy. I think now I'm finally willing to try an audition. After being away from papers for a week, the first thing I saw was a USA Today, a McPaper, in other words. I did think it was rather funny on page 8A. They had a full-page ad of Ken Jennings on his losing answer. Uh, apparently, he thought... FedEx was the company that let off people that people only worked four months of the year when they were looking for H&R Block as an answer. And the FedEx people thought, well, let's take advantage of it. So they put his picture on there and said, uh, there's only one time FedEx has ever been the wrong answer. Oh, that was pretty cute. 
While I was gone, I noted that uh, the CIA and the shakeup that's taking place over at the CIA, Porter Goss, the new director, has pretty much announced that people are going to have to, uh, you know, expect his agents and analysts to back up the president. Well, previous to this, the CIA occasionally, at least, uh, for example, in the ramp up to the war in Iraq, refused to produce phony baloney uh, non-evidence for the sake of um, of uh, pursuing a foreign policy the president wanted, to which I think they deserve a great deal of credit. Well, <laughs> but, uh, but those days apparently are going to be gone. Uh, uh, David Wise in the Los Angeles Times noted that um, apparently now yes-men and cheerleaders providing the White House with evidence to justify whatever foreign policy it sees fit is what Porter Goss wants more of. Tell you, with news like that, it felt pretty good to be down in Costa Rica. But uh, I did note that uh, our good friend Tom Burka of Opinions You Should Have <laughs> did uh, did take off on that uh, on those uh, those stories coming out of CIA headquarters with the following: Liberal CIA operatives to be designated enemy combatants. Natural extension of plame doctrine, says Gonzalez. Liberal and openly democratic CIA operatives and analysts are to be designated enemy combatants today and immediately shipped to a detention center in Guantanamo, Cuba, pursuant to orders from the White House that were vetted and approved by Counsel Alberto Gonzalez. Once in Guantanamo, former CIA operatives are expected to be placed in government-approved, quote, stress positions, unquote. I'm not sure how this is going to be much different than my CIA job, said liberal intelligence analyst Jocelyn Wexler. Attempting to provide unbiased intelligence analysis to this administration was already the ultimate stress position. It's a natural extension of what we're now calling the PLAME doctrine, said Gonzalez. We're not just outing them, we're taking them out. I love Tom's headline for December 6th. Bush calls for U.N. chief's resignation. Failed to stop Iraqi invasion, he complains. (laughs) President Bush entered the fray surrounding criticism of U.N. chief Kofi Annan today, saying that he was not as concerned about problems with the oil for food program as he was with the U.N.'s inability to promote international peace. Kofi Annan failed to stop war from breaking out in Iraq. I can tell you that, said Bush. That's a poor excuse for a leader of an organization that calls itself a vehicle for world peace. Former U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. John Negroponte agreed with President Bush. Kofi Annan knew that the inspectors were working in Iraq, yet he utterly failed in his mission to stop the president from just riding roughshod over him. It's time for him to go. Of course, now I have two weeks of the week to quote for you, which I, which I like to do. Uh, Let's see, December 3rd issue, good week four, paranoia, as the House of Representatives passed a thousand-page spending bill that included a provision allowing two committee chairmen to examine the tax returns of any American. I have no earthly idea how it got in there, said Senate Majority Leader Bill Frist, after the snooping provision was spotted. Red-faced Republicans had the provision removed. And December 3rd was labeled a bad week for... Real Jews, as The Forward magazine named Madonna number 51 on its list of most influential Jews. Editor J.J. Goldberg defended the inclusion of the Italian-American pop singer, saying, 
She's a practitioner of Kabbalah, so she's practicing Judaism for Christ's sake. Well, not really for Christ's sake. But I tell you, the day before I left, or a couple days before I left, Terry Gross interviewed Madonna. <laughs> what a horrible woman Madonna came across as. Terry Gross, who's Jewish, asked her, well, you're studying the Kabbalah. Does, does that mean you're, you're becoming Jewish? And Madonna just snaps back with this. Like, that is so stupid. It's ridiculous when people say that. It's a, it's a mysticism. It's a, it's a form of, of, of studying philosophy. <laughs> it's just like she somehow didn't quite grasp that it's Jewish. And the fact that she was taking someone who is Jewish and is as learned as Terry Gross and lecturing her about how ignorant people were that confused the Kabbalah with Judaism, whew, it took my breath away. Uh, we're going to bring our, our Hollywood correspondent, Gail Murphy, uh, back on in the near future. Gail um, had an interview set with Madonna um, a, 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 year, a couple years back. And, uh, well, I, I'm gonna, I'll let her tell the story. We'll, we'll save that one. And uh, this last week uh, was a good week for free thinkers, apparently. As Provo, Utah struck down a long-standing law against owning both a cat and a dog. Does it seem to you sometimes that people that make laws do have too much time on their hands? And last week was apparently a bad week for the Crimson when Harvard fans at the annual Harvard-Yale football game held up pieces of paper they thought would spell out, Go Harvard. The actual message they spelled out, which was supplied by undercover Yale fans, was, We suck. You know, there was, there was a famous moment in the Rose Bowl like 20 years ago when guys from Caltech... Uh, inserted a faulty program in that in the card sequence that was supposed to be held up, and uh, it's a famous moment. Right in the middle of the Rose Bowl, they, they held up the sign that was supposed to say USC or whatever, and it said Caltech. So, um, congratulations to Yale on that one. And I can't resist a couple items from the Only in America file. Item number one: the family of a New York man is suing. The Benihana restaurant chain for $10 million, alleging the man died after a Japanese hibachi chef threw a piece of grilled shrimp at him. Jerry Colatis injured himself whipping his head back to avoid the shrimp, his lawyer says, and died after an operation on his neck six months later. Quote, they set in motion a chain of events, the lawyer says. Benihana denies responsibility, adding that Colatus was probably trying to catch the shrimp in his mouth, not dodge it. <laughs> Item number two. An East Texas school district canceled an annual homecoming tradition in which boys dress as girls and girls dress as boys after conservative Christians warned that cross-dressing leads to homosexuality. It might be fun today to dress up like a little girl, says Mother Delana Davies, and you start playing around with it, and like drugs, you do a little here and there, and eventually it gets you. Instead, students will celebrate Camo Day 
dressed in army camouflage and black boots. We do so enjoy the Week magazine, and it really seems to be custom tailored for people having their own radio show. But, um, but um, yeah, you might want to check out a copy. Good magazine. Um, another item from from that magazine. Speaking of Christian conservatives, Billy James Hargis evidently passed away um, a couple of weeks ago. Billy James Hargis was a 270-pound evangelical minister uh, noted for his crusade against communism. Uh, what's interesting about this to me is that um, his mixing of politics and religion brought him to the attention of the IRS, which after a long-running legal fight ultimately stripped his ministry of its tax-exempt status, citing his mixture of politics and religion. And I can't think of too many things that would have a healthier effect on this country today than to have the IRS take a very close look at certain religious organizations that are unable to um, refrain from mixing politics and religion. Hargis was 17 when he became an ordained preacher in the Disciples of Christ Church. At 25, he founded an independent interdenominational ministry, Christian Crusade, whose four-square message was for Christ and against communism. In 1957, after he began leveling charges of harboring communists communists against an ever-widening array of business, political, and cultural leaders, the Disciples of Christ dropped him as an accredited minister. Uh, He had a few financial setbacks, but he then established a broadcast ministry that was aired on more than 500 radio stations and 250 television stations in the U.S. and around the world. He seemed on his way to rivaling Reverend Billy Graham, but uh, a few sexual scandals along with financial setbacks seem to um, to have unraveled things a bit. Uh, I, I'd forgotten about this, but uh, in about, about 1970 or so, the Associated Press revealed that two students at a college that he'd founded discovered that they'd both had sex with Hargis. One was female, of course, and the other male. And uh, they each learned of each other's affair with Hargis on their wedding night. Hargis responded by saying, I was guilty of sin, but not the sin I was accused of. But after other students corroborated the fact that he'd engaged in sexual acts with numerous other females and male students, he uh, was forced to close his college. Although he continued his anti-communist ministry and uh, up till um, this year. And actually, up till this year, he was still the director of the Christian Crusade. Hargis is something of a footnote figure to recent U.S. history, I would say, at this point in time. But there's there's one other fascinating aspect about his life, which I think is worthy of note. He was sued by a left-wing journalist, Fred Cook, um, what was somewhat of a landmark court decision. He charged that Hargis had unfairly fairly maligned him in a broadcast. He cited the FCC's fairness doctrine and sought equal time to respond to the charges. The Supreme Court ruled in Cook's favor. Afterwards, many stations were less inclined to broadcast controversial programs. That's, of course, a favorite subject for us uh, here on KDVS as we try and uh, deliberately talk about subjects that um, many stations are less inclined to talk about. The punchline to all of that is that, um, you know, good luck suing under the Fairness Doctrine today 
It may have existed in the 1960s, but it was rescinded in the late 80s. There is no longer a fairness doctrine of the FCC. So, um, you know, that's why Rush Limbaugh can say what he wants about the virtues and, uh, and uh, an angelic nature of the Republican Party all day long without anybody being able to say to the station, hey, how about some equal time? Got an email while I was gone from Lisa talking about, uh, you know, those of us in the blue states might just want to look at the fact that, you know, maybe we want to start boycotting uh, some of this stuff uh, from uh, just red state business. Um, my trip to Costa Rica took me through Dallas, and I got to tell you, that is the last time I'm going to do a stopover in the state of Texas. Uh, you know, I'm sick of Texas. It's ugly, the air's bad. And I don't understand what it is they are so damn proud of down there. You know, belt buckles in the state of Texas, 10-gallon Stetsons. You know, I've had it with those guys. And the fact that energy trading corporations based in that state pretty much robbed California of all of its budget surplus uh, doesn't help either. Oh, and did we mention George W. Bush? Let's not. But uh, back to Lisa's email, if you want to consider when you're going to make a purchase whether you'd like to be on a, uh, a Republican contributing uh, corporation or a Democratic one, consider this. The Hyatt Corporation gave $187,000 to political campaigns that we know of uh, this last election. 80% of it went to Democrats, whereas Marriott gave 323000 81% to Republicans. The Holiday Inn, well, they only gave 38000 but 71% of it went to Republicans. Need to go to a big box store? Well, in the quarter to half million dollar range that we know of, the following are big-time Republican contributors. Target, 70%. Home Depot, 89%. Kmart, 86%. And Walmart, 97% to Republicans. Price Club Costco, on the other hand, donated a quarter of a million dollars, of which 99% went to Democrats. Feel like you need a drink? Coors, 92% of its funds go to Republicans. Gallo Winery, on the other hand, 95% to Democrats. Magla Products, which includes Stanley Tools and Mr. Clean, gave 100% of its funds to Democrats, as did Calvin Klein. On the other hand, Amway gave 100% of its $391,000 to Republicans. The next time you feel like eating out and you want to make a big GOP contribution, think about Outback Steakhouse, KFC, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, and McDonald's. All big-time Republican contributors. All right. I, I, I mentioned uh, seeing USA Today when I came by. Um, Came back from well, actually, I wasn't up. I wasn't away from the media. Pretty much every hotel that I was in uh, had a television, and uh, the world is cooked up to um, to cable these days, satellite or cable. And I was rather appalled to note that uh, CNN International, uh, actually, CNN International is the least of, of of the the bad programming that is available to Costa Ricans and other people around the world who are held hostage by Hollywood. On day one down there, I did note that America, or at least American corporations like AOL, Time Warner, through uh, through CNN, are informing people 
who need to know this in places like San Jose, Costa Rica, that Godzilla has now been awarded a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I'm not sure how you can award a star to a, you know, a special effect. <laughs> a Japanese technician inside a rubber reptile suit can be considered a star. But, uh, you know, what can you say? It's Hollywood. I noted that the Balco uh, steroid and growth hormone uh, you know, chemical abuse uh, case in athletics is heating up. And... Um, Boy, it's implicating a lot of people around whom there has been much suspicion, most particularly Barry Bonds. I noted in the Sacramento Bee yesterday that Major League Baseball is now stalling its plans to market Bonds' uh, chasing of Hank Aaron's uh, all-time home run record. There are only three men, of course, ever to hit 700 home runs in Major League Baseball, Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron, and now Barry Bonds. At the rate he's going, Barry Bonds is going to be number one. But uh, it does seem a bit tainted by the fact that Bonds has admitted in grand jury testimony that he took um, agents that are considered steroids. Yes, they they are steroids. They're steroid precursors. They're steroids. Barry Bonds, uh, I don't know, should he have an asterisk after his uh, record? The Bush administration seems very bugged by this particular issue, and... I'm not sure why. I'm sure there's a story behind that. I I don't know what it is. But one thing's certain, the GOP is not bugged about the fact that uh, massive anabolic steroid abuse made a rather unknown Austrian weightlifter a Hollywood movie star and a public persona and, as we speak, governor of the state of California. If it's scandalous for Barry Bonds to have hit 703 steroid-aided home runs, is it not also scandalous for a governor to have become a famous and celebrated person through the use of steroids? Well, now, technically, when Arnold did abuse anabolic steroids, um, they were legal. So I guess he gets off at a technicality. Yeah, they were legal, but uh, when I was in high school back um, in the early 70s and people were taking Diana Ball and all these various steroids, everybody knew it was a pretty screwball thing to do and that it had a major effect on your metabolism and built big muscles. In fact, well, we all know now, if you walk by the, the magazine rack, any of those muscle magazines, human beings simply cannot look like that. You cannot give yourself a physique like that without using steroids, period, end of discussion. Now, our governor seems like a very fun guy. He's obviously charismatic. Anyone who's seen Pumping Iron can see how he took his his magnificent physique, his Mr. Olympia status, and demonstrated that he had a certain something before the cameras. But he's not a movie star because of his acting ability. He's a movie star because he has a rather remarkable physique which was gained through steroids and a bit of charisma. He invested his earnings from film in California real estate. He's had some good advisors. He's married well in the Kennedy family and uh, is a public persona through, well, as Monsanto used to say, better living through chemistry. But I would note that USA Today I saw, that first piece of paper, I, I, that first newspaper I saw that connected me back to America, was not 
asking the question of, uh, should Arnold Schwarzenegger be under a cloud? No. It was asking on page one, should the Constitution be amended for Arnold? Now, we should note that since 1791, America has only added amendments to the Constitution 17 times. We've only decided to tinker with our basic fundamental document 17 times since the uh, first 10 amendments, the Bill of Rights, were tacked on to the Constitution. I don't think number 28 should be a provision that allows an Austrian weightlifter to become president. He's a smart guy, an amusing, and he's a smart guy, and he's an amusing character, and he is our governor. But let's let him see how we can do with that first, shall we, before we decide that we're going to change the Constitution and make him president? Just seems to make sense to me. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett, and this is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. Stay tuned for a talk in segment two with Roger S. Peterson, historian, business writer, and expert on the English language. Hey, 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 I've got to be a macho. 